is Ready to Rock Today, Fire Nation. JLD here with another incredible speech, this time from Elizabeth Gilbert. The speech is called Your Elusive Creative Genius. And this speech was originally delivered at TED in February of 2009. TED holds a copyright and the original video can be found at the TED website. Fire Nation, this speech is powerful. Your elusive creative genius may be eating you from within and you don't even know it. So we'll dive in as soon as we get back from thanking our sponsor. Getting your sales copy and funnels just right can be difficult, but with ClickFunnels' new One Funnel Away Challenge, you can have everything up, running, and optimized in just 30 days. Join the next One Funnel Away Challenge for just $100 at eofire.com slash funnel. That's eofire.com slash funnel. Successful entrepreneurs take advantage of tools that do things more efficiently. And when it comes to hiring, the tool to use is ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, Fire Nation, let's dive into today's speech by Elizabeth Gilbert, your elusive creative genius. And again, the speech was originally delivered at TED in February of 2009, and they are the copyright owner. And you can find this talk in the original video format at the TED website. I am a writer. Writing books is my profession, but it's more than that, of course. It is also my great lifelong love and fascination. And I don't expect that it's ever going to change. But that said, something kind of peculiar has happened recently in my life and in my career, which has caused me to have to recalibrate my whole relationship with this work. And the peculiar thing is that I recently wrote this book, this memoir called Eat, Pray, Love, which decidedly unlike any of my previous books, went out in the world for some reason and came back this big mega sensation, international bestseller thing. The result of which is everywhere I go now, people treat me like I'm doomed. Seriously, doomed, doomed. Like they come up to me now all worried and they say, aren't you afraid you're never going to be able to top that? Aren't you afraid you're going to keep writing for your whole life and you're never again going to create a book that anybody in the world cares about at all ever again? So that's reassuring, you know. It could be worse, except for that I happen to remember that over 20 years ago, when I was a teenager, when I first started telling people I wanted to be a writer, I was met with the same sort of fear-based reaction. And people would say, aren't you afraid you're never going to have any success? Aren't you afraid the humiliation of rejection will kill you? Aren't you afraid you're going to work your whole life at this craft and nothing's ever going to come of it and you're going to die on a scrap heap of broken dreams they are mel-filled of bitter ash of failure? The short answer to all those questions is yes. Yes, I'm afraid of all those things. And I always have been. And I'm afraid of many, many more things besides that people can't even guess at, like seaweed and other things that are scary. But when it comes to writing, the thing that I've been sort of thinking about lately and wondering about lately is why. You know, is it rational? Is it logical that anybody should be expected to be afraid of the work that they feel they were put on this earth to do? And what is it about creative ventures that seems to make us really nervous about each other's mental health in a way that other careers kind of don't do, you know? Like my dad, for example. He was a chemical engineer, and I don't recall once in his 40 years of chemical engineering anybody asking him if he was afraid to be a chemical engineer. That chemical engineering blog, John, how's it going? It just doesn't come up like that, you know? 
But to be fair, chemical engineers as a group haven't really earned a reputation over the centuries for being alcoholic, manic depressives. We writers, we kind of do have that reputation. And not just writers, but creative people across all genres, it seems, have this reputation for being enormously mentally unstable. And all you have to do is look at the very grim death count in the 20th century alone of really magnificent minds who died young and often at their own hands. And even the ones who didn't literally commit suicide seem to be really undone by their gifts. Norman Mailer, just before he died in his last interview said, every one of my books has killed me a little more. An extraordinary statement to make about your life's work. But we don't even blink when we hear somebody say this because we've heard that kind of stuff for so long and somehow we've completely internalized and accepted collectively this notion that creativity and suffering are somehow inherently linked and that artistry in its end will always ultimately lead to anguish. And the question I want to ask everybody here today is, are you guys cool with that idea? Are you comfortable with that? Because if you look at it even from an inch away, I'm not at all comfortable with that assumption. I think it's odious. I also think it's dangerous, and I don't want to see it perpetuated in the next century. I think it's a better idea if we encourage our great creative minds to live. And I definitely know that in my case, in my situation, it would be very dangerous for me to start sort of leaking down that dark path of assumption, particularly given the circumstance that I'm in right now in my career. I'm pretty young. I'm only about 40 years old. I still have maybe another four decades of work left in me. And it's exceedingly likely that anything I write from this point forward is going to be judged by the world as the work that came after the freakish success of my last book, right? I should just put it bluntly because we're all sort of friends now. It's exceedingly likely that my greatest success is behind me. Jesus, what a thought. That's the kind of thought that could lead a person to start drinking gin at nine o'clock in the morning, and I don't want to go there. I would prefer to keep doing this work that I love. And so the question becomes, how? The way that I have to work now in order to continue writing is that I have to create some sort of protective psychological construct. I have to sort of find a way to have a safe distance between me as I'm writing and my very natural anxiety about what the reaction to that writing is going to be from now on. As I've been looking over the last year for models on how to do that, I've been sort of looking across time and I've been trying to find other societies to see if they might have had better and saner ideas than we have about how to help creative people sort of manage the inherent emotional risks of creativity. And that search has led me to ancient Greece and ancient Rome. So stay with me because it does circle around and back. In ancient Greece and ancient Rome, people did not happen to believe that creativity came from human beings. People believed that creativity was this divine attendant spirit that came to human beings from some distant and unknowable source for distant and unknowable reasons. The Greeks famously called these divine attendant spirits of creativity demons. Socrates famously believed that he had a demon who spoke wisdom to him from afar. The Romans had the same idea, but they called that sort of disembodied creative spirit a genius, which is great because the Romans did not actually think that a genius was a particularly clever individual. They believed that a genius was this, sort of a magical divine entity who was believed to literally live in the walls of an artist's studio, kind of like Dobby the house elf, and who would come out and sort of invisibly assist the artist with their work and would shape the outcome of that work. 
so brilliant. There it is, right there. That distance I'm talking about. That psychological construct to protect you from the results of your work. And everyone knew that this is how it functioned, right? So the ancient artist was protected from certain things, like, for example, too much narcissism. If your work was brilliant, you couldn't take all the credit for it. Everybody knew you had this disembodied genius who had helped you. If your work bombed, not entirely your fault. Everyone knew your genius was kind of lame. And this is how people thought about creativity in the West for a really long time. Then the Renaissance came and everything changed. We had this big idea. And the big idea was, let's put the individual human being at the center of the universe above all gods and all mystery. And there's no more room for mystical creatures who take dictation from the divine. And it's the beginning of rational humanism. And people started to believe that creativity came completely from the self of the individual. And for the first time in history, you start to hear people referring to this or that artist as being a genius rather than having a genius. And I got to tell you, I think it was a huge error. I think that allowing somebody, one mere person to believe that he or she is like the vessel, you know, like the font and the essence and the source of all divine, creative, unknowable, eternal mystery is just a smidge too much responsibility to put on one fragile human psyche. It's like asking somebody to swallow the sun. It just completely warps and distorts egos and it creates all these unmanageable expectations about performance. And I think the pressure of that has been killing off our artists for the last 500 years. And if this is true, and I think it's true, the question becomes, what now? Can we do this differently? Maybe go back to some more ancient understanding about the relationship between humans and the creative mystery. Maybe not. Maybe we can't just erase 500 years of rational humanistic thought in one 18-minute speech. And there's probably people in this audience who would raise really legitimate scientific suspicions about the notion of, basically, fairies who follow people around rubbing fairy juice on their projects and stuff. I'm not probably going to bring you all along with me on this. But the question that I kind of want to pose is, why not? Why not think about it this way? Because it makes as much sense as anything I have heard in terms of explaining the utter maddening capriciousness of the creative process. A process which, as anybody who has ever tried to make something, which is to say basically everyone here, knows does not always behave rationally. And in fact, can sometimes feel downright paranormal. All right, Fire Nation, tons of value bombs coming up after we thank our sponsor. When you're in business growth mode, you need qualified candidates who can help you free up time. And ZipRecruiter can help. Gretchen Hebner is a perfect example of this. She's the co-founder of Codabel, a computer game used in thousands of elementary schools that helps kids learn to code. As the game grew in popularity, Gretchen had less time to dedicate to the design of the game. She needed to hire a skilled game artist so she could focus on growing the business. Gretchen's biggest concern, that it would be a tough position to fill, not only because of the skills required, but also because she wanted someone who was passionate about teaching kids. With the help of ZipRecruiter's pre-screener questions, Gretchen was able to narrow her search and find her perfect match, Greg. Fast. And Gretchen isn't the only one. In fact, four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, you too can try ZipRecruiter for free at ziprecruiter.com slash fire. That's ziprecruiter.com slash fire. Once again, ziprecruiter.com slash fire. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Online funnels can be intimidating. They require setup and technical aspects you might not be familiar with. But what if I told you that you can build an online funnel from scratch 
and get it live in just 30 days. With the One Funnel Away Challenge from ClickFunnels, you really are just 30 days away from getting your funnel live. Here's how it works. Join the next One Funnel Away Challenge at eofire.com slash funnel. Every day you'll receive a mission to complete, each mission being a step in the process of creating, building, and launching your funnel. Get ready to rock your funnel with a trifecta training approach, daily training, live coaching, and accountability from day one through day 30. Complete the task given to you every day for 30 days, and by the end of the 30 days, you should have a funnel that is live and ready to generate leads and sales. Join the next One Funnel Away Challenge for just $100 at eofire.com slash funnel and get daily training, live coaching, and accountability from day one through day 30. That's eofire.com slash funnel. I had this encounter recently where I met the extraordinary American poet, Ruth Stone, who's now in her 90s, but she's been a poet her entire life, and she told me that when she was growing up in rural Virginia, she would be out working in the fields. She said she would feel and hear a poem coming from her over the landscape, and she said it was like a thunderous train of air, and it would come barreling down at her over the landscape, and she felt it coming because it would shake the earth under her feet. She knew that she only had one thing to do at that point, and that was to, in her words, run like hell. And she would run like hell to the house and she would be getting chased by this poem. And the whole deal was that she had to get a piece of paper and a pencil fast enough so that when it thundered through her, she could collect it and grab it on the page. And other times she wouldn't be fast enough. So she'd be running and running and she wouldn't get to the house and the poem would barrel through her and she would miss it. And she would say she would continue on across the landscape looking, as she put it, for another poet. And then there were these times. This is the piece I never forgot. She said that there were moments when she would almost miss it. So she's running to the house and she's looking for the paper and the poem passes through her and she grabs a pencil just as it's going through her. And then she said it was like she would reach out with her other hand and she would catch it. She would catch the poem by its tail and she would pull it backwards into her body as she was transcribing on the page. And in these instances, the poem would come up on the page perfect and intact, but backwards from the last Last word to the first. That's not at all what my creative process is. I'm not the pipeline. I'm a mule. And the way I have to work is I have to get up at the same time every day and sweat and labor and barrel through it really awkwardly. But even I, in my mulishness, even I have brushed up against that thing at times. And I would imagine that a lot of you have too. Even I have had work or ideas come through me from a source that I honestly cannot identify. And what is that thing? And how are we to relate to it in a way that will not make us lose our minds, but in fact, might actually keep us sane? And for me, the best contemporary example that I have of how to do this is the musician Tom Waits, who I got to interview several years ago on a magazine assignment. And we were talking about this. Tom, for most of his life, was pretty much the embodiment of the tormented contemporary modern artist, trying to control and manage and dominate these sort of uncontrollable creative impulses that were totally internalized. But then he got older, he got calmer, and one day he was driving down the freeway in Los Angeles, and this is when it all changed for him. As he's speeding along, and all of a sudden he hears this little fragment of a melody that comes into his head as inspiration often comes, elusive and tantalizing. 
and he wants it. It's gorgeous and he longs for it, but he has no way to get it. He doesn't have a piece of paper or a pencil or a tape recorder. So he starts to feel all that old anxiety start to rise up in him, like I'm going to lose this thing and I'll be haunted by this song forever. I'm not good enough and I can't do it. And instead of panicking, he just stopped. He just stopped that whole mental process and he did something completely novel. He just looked up at the sky and he said, excuse me, can you not see that I'm driving? Do I look like I can write this song down right now? If you really want to exist, come back in a more opportune moment when I can take care of you. Otherwise, go bother someone else today. Go bother Leonard Cohen. And his whole work process changed after that. Not the work. The work was still oftentimes as dark as ever. But the process and the heavy anxiety around it was released when he took the genie, the genius out of him where it was causing nothing but trouble, and released it back to where it came from. And realized that this didn't have to be this internalized, tormented thing. It could be this peculiar, wondrous, bizarre collaboration kind of conversation between Tom and the strange external thing that was not quite Tom. When I heard that story, it started to shift a little bit the way I worked too. And this idea already saved me once. It saved me when I was in the middle of writing Eat, Pray, Love. And I fell into one of those pits of despair that we all fall into when we're working on something and it's not coming and you think that it's going to be a disaster. The worst book ever written. Not just bad, but the worst book ever written. And I started to think I should just dump this project. But then I remember Tom talking to the open air and I tried it. So I just lifted my face up from the manuscript and I directed my comments to the empty corner of the room and I said, said aloud, listen, you thing, you and I both know that if this book isn't brilliant, that it's not entirely my fault, right? Because you can see I'm putting everything I have into this and I don't have any more. If you want it to be better, you've got to show up and do your part of the deal. But if you don't want to do that, you know what? The hell with it. I'm going to keep writing anyway because that's my job. And I would please like the record to reflect today that I showed up for my part of the job. Because in the end, it's like this. Centuries ago, in the deserts of North Africa, people used to gather for these moonlight dances of sacred dance and music that would go on for hours and hours until dawn. They were always magnificent because the dancers were professionals and they were terrific, right? But every once in a while, very rarely, something would happen and one of these performers would actually become transcendent. And I know you know what I'm talking about because I know you've all seen them at some point in your life, a performance like this. It was like time would stop and the dancer would sort of step through some kind of portal and he wasn't doing anything different that he had ever done 1,000 nights before, but everything would align. And all of a sudden, he would no longer appear to be merely human. He would be lit from within and lit from below and lit up on fire with divinity. And when this happened back then, people knew what it was, you know? They called it by his name. They would put their hands together and they would start to chant, Allah, 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 God, God, God. That's God, you know? Curious historical footnote, when the Moors invaded southern Spain, they took this custom with them and the pronunciation changed over the centuries from Allah to Ole, 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 which you still hear in bullfights in the flamenco dances. In Spain, when a performer has done something impossible and magic, Allah, Ole, Ole, Allah, magnificent, bravo, incomprehensible. There it is, a glimpse of God, which is great because we need that. But the tricky part comes the next morning. For the dancer himself, when he wakes up and discovers that it's Tuesday at 11 a.m. and he's no longer a glimpse of God. He's just an aging mortal with really bad knees and maybe he's never going to ascend to that height again. And maybe nobody will ever chant God's name again as he spins. And what is he then to do with the rest of his life? 
this is hard. This is one of the most painful reconciliations to make in a creative life. But maybe it doesn't have to be quite so full of anguish if you've never happened to believe in the first place that the most extraordinary aspects of your being came from you. But maybe if you just believe that they were on loan to you from some unimaginable source for some exquisite portion of your life to be passed along when you're finished with somebody else. And you know, if we think about it this way, it starts to change everything. This is how I started to think, and this is certainly how I've been thinking the last few months as I've been working on the book that will soon be published as the dangerously, frighteningly over-anticipated follow-up to my freakish success. And what I have to keep telling myself when I get really psyched out is that don't be afraid. Don't be daunted. Just do your job. Continue to show up for your piece of it, whatever that might be. If your job is to dance, do your dance. If the divine cockeyed genius assigned to your case decides to let some sort of wonderment be glimpsed for just one moment through your efforts, then ole. And if not, do your dance anyhow. And ole to you nonetheless. I believe this and I feel we must teach it. Ole to you nonetheless, just for having the sheer human love and stubbornness to keep showing up. Thank you. No, Elizabeth, thank you, Fire Nation. I hope you're taking some great things away from these speeches. I will catch you on the flip side. When it comes to hiring, you can save time and get more qualified candidates fast with ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Getting your sales copy and funnels just right can be difficult, but with ClickFunnels' new One Funnel Away Challenge, you can have everything up, running, and optimized in just 30 days. Join the next One Funnel Away Challenge for just $100 at eofire.com slash funnel. That's eofire.com slash funnel.